You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to get Onyx Maps on your phone, you need to get Onyx Maps on your phone, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I am the kind of guy who likes to know where I'm at at all times, and I like to do a lot of running and gunning. So there's times where access is very important for me, knowing where I was at, knowing how to get to a specific location, especially in the dark of morning or night, getting in and getting out. And the best part for me is that I have GPS on my phone and Onyx allows you to leave basically breadcrumbs uh, and leave a trail or your access routes on your phone, save those access routes, and then use your GPS going in and out of your tree stand locations every single day. And it's awesome because you won't get lost in the dark. And I use that so much, that little portion in itself, so much throughout the season that uh, it's probably the most useful function of that app. Now, you can also leave waypoints like where your trail cameras are at, where your tree stands are at, where you see scrapes and rubs or marking trailheads or campsites. This is the perfect app for a do-it-yourself hunter. I mean, really for all hunters, because it allows you to journal your properties that you hunt, right? And uh, the more information you have, the more successful you will be on a yearly basis because you keep gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And soon you'll see trends in that data and those trends will lead you to hunting more efficiently and becoming more successful, in my opinion. So go to Onyx or wherever you download your apps, pick up Onyx, and you can use the discount code NATION20, N-A-T-I-O-N 20, and save 20% off for first-time users. Onyx Maps. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Glad to have you all here, and this week, this episode is going to be part one of a two-part series on H2 Ohio. So if you haven't heard, H2 Ohio is a is a Waller Waller, that's not a word, a water quality initiative that Governor DeWine has introduced to basically help restore some of our our wetlands, which will help clean up our water, reduce the harmful algal blooms in, in Lake Erie and, and all the other lakes and, and rivers throughout the state. And so, so this episode, like I said, this is part one. This is Jacob, Jeff, and I kind of going through the, the information that is 
publicly available that's been released uh, reading through the the website that they put out giving our thoughts on on what we think it might mean and then part two is we're going to have somebody on from the ODNR to kind of give the professional overview the the details answer any questions that we have so two-part series this is part one hopefully you guys enjoy this hopefully you find it helpful and informative and before we get into that i want to talk about our sponsor mastin's deer sense so mastin's is a premium scent company they make a great product we've had good success with it we've been using it throughout the season so far it's a premium product and the reason i say that is it's collected on stainless steel a lot of other companies collect on concrete and and everybody knows concrete is porous and you can get off scents and things in that so this is a, a premium product at a budget price so the the prices if you look on their website you'll find that the prices are are very good, very competitive. You're not paying an arm and a leg for this stuff. So we really enjoy them. We really enjoy their product and we really appreciate them sponsoring the show. So if you would, if, if you'd like using scent as a hunting tactic or a way to get deer in front of your cameras, however you want to use it, I would encourage you to check out Mastin's. And what I'm going to do is, as always, the, the links... And anything that we mention in this episode will be in the show notes. So if you go to ohiohuntsman.com slash episode 70, spelled out, you know, the word episode number 70, that will take you to the show notes and you'll have links to Mastin's to buy their stuff and any other things that we mentioned throughout the episode that you want to check out. So with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so today on the show, we're going to talk about the h2 ohio wetlands project so they've governor dewine recently announced this and it's going to have impacts on people that uh enjoy ohio's land and waters and so we thought it would be a good topic to cover so who uh, who wants to take a crack at sort of summarizing what this is Uh, uh, you know for people that aren't aware haven't heard anything about it who wants to try and summarize the H2 Ohio initiative? Nobody. I can summarize it, I guess. So it's a, it's a H2 Ohio is basically a water quality plan. So according to some of the stuff I've been reading and I am by no means an expert on this and, and we are, I'm working on getting somebody that is more of an expert on this uh, Jeff is going to kind of act as our resident expert, but uh, there, you know, you may see another episode on this topic coming in the future because it is, you know, it is a big deal. So basically, it's 
targeted solutions to help reduce, I think, phosphorus runoff from crop fields that, you know, the, the phosphorus runoff from the crop, crop fields goes into the waterways and produces these algal blooms that, you know, are harmful to our waterways and lakes, you know, Lake Erie algal blooms and, you know, any of your, your larger public lakes, I think, have had some sort of issues with these things. From what I'm reading, this, at least initially, is focusing on the um, Maumee River Basin or the, the Maumee Watershed. So that's northwest right. Ohio. Things, you know, those, right. those things that feed into Lake Erie there. They've identified right. um, a handful of uh, what they're calling high-priority wetlands projects. So I, I think they announced six priority wetlands projects, again, all in those areas. And basically, it's an attempt to reduce phosphorus. They're going to create wetlands to try to filter some of that phosphorus out of those waterways before it gets into the lakes. There's also a part of this that's addressing failing septic systems throughout the state. And they, they even touch on preventing lead contamination in, uh, I saw they mentioned, you know, some, some high risk daycares and, and childcare facilities. What do you guys think? Is that uh, a sort of high level synopsis of what H2 Ohio is that I, how did I do? Yeah, that was that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, H2 Ohio, when it comes to agriculture and stuff like that, uh, their main objective is to help prevent uh, nutrient pollution to the waterways, which causes uh, algal blooms, um, you know, which some are toxic to humans. Others are toxic to wildlife. So they're very detrimental to both humans and the environment. So they have a few few plans, a few initiatives that they're going to implement to try to uh, prevent and limit or nutrient uh, pollu pollution in Ohio's waterways. And yeah, they're going to start with the... Uh, the Maumee River watershed and a little bit of a history lesson here um, as to kind of why they're why that's such a good candidate. Um, almost all of the Maumee River watershed used to be one giant swamp called the Black Swamp. And when settlers came, they determined, you know, discovered like, oh, well, the soil is really fertile. So if we can get the water off of it, it'll be great farmland, which it is great farmland, but that that swamp was had an environmental purpose, you know, to kind of strip nutrients from the, the water and that that was going to eventually run into the Maumee River and then into Lake Erie. Right. I've, I've heard those wetland habitats, those those swamps, those marshy areas, uh, I've heard them described as like nature's kidneys, right? Where they filter out a lot of that stuff before it gets into like, like say, Lake Erie in this case. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Both through uh, plants stripping nutrients from uh, the water and, and just the, the, the sitting water allows sediment to fall out of it before it moves on you know the instead of like in a stream there's a lot of there's a large sediment load most of the time because the water's moving and wetlands that the water is typically pretty still and it allows the sediment to fall out of it the the solids um but yeah so in the black swamp area mommy river uh watershed we as settlers when we came we did a very good job at draining the swamp but now that swamp is fields that are also very well are also very good at being drained so any excess uh nutrients that are put on the field fertilizers manure um it's very easy for those to just go straight into the water system into the mommy river and then into Lake Erie, which is a large contributor to the algal blooms that Lake Erie's been having in in the Toledo area. Right. And so they've they've identified what they're calling like ten key phosphorus reduction best practices. And they're they're talking about um having funding incentives for farmers starting in spring of 2020 spring of 2020 the the planting this coming spring so they talk about soil testing so i you know identifying if your fields even need um fertilizer i don't know why i got got stuck on that word um or you know how much and that kind of thing instead of just dumping fertilizer on there uh, variable rate fertilization. So th- they've got technology where, you know, this part of the field, right? The, these fields are huge, right? Everybody's driven past huge farm fields and this part of the field needs less and or more. And so they've got variable rate fertilization. They've got subsurface nutrient application. So instead of just spreading that stuff on top and then the rains come and a lot of that stuff runs off, you can, you know, for lack of a better term, plant the fertilizer below surface so that it doesn't run off as much. Um, the, let's see what else they got. Manure incorporation. So again, instead of just spreading that stuff on top of the field, like maybe turning that into the soil. Conservation crop rotations, cover crops, drainage water management, two-stage ditch construction, edge of field buffers, and wetlands. So, you know, I think wetlands is a big part of those sort of six key um, or priority wetlands projects, right? That's, those are going to be big projects. They, you know, there's, there's money involved in that. And I guess there's money involved with, you know, the funding for the incentive program for farmers as well. But I think those wetlands are, you know, those are kind of big because presumably some of those wetlands will eventually be open for fishing, waterfowl hunting, that sort of thing. Jeff, do you know anything about that? Um, yeah, I would assume that they probably will be uh, 
open in some manner, whether those wetlands are put on, you know, private property that the private landowners have the right to do whatever they want with, or if those wetlands become, you know, public land, um, presumably there will be hunting and fishing on them. Uh, but the, just the, these wetlands being put into place is really going to help uh, stream quality, which is going to really be great for, for fishing. Um, you're going to see a lot cleaner streams, healthier fish, and basically you, you'll over time, I mean, this isn't going to happen overnight, but over time you, there probably will be a noticeable impact on the quality of stream. You may start seeing fish, in areas that you've never seen fish before right. um, because that because the water was just so much so heavily polluted that it wasn't good habitat now that water is cleaner and the fish can survive there um, another big factor of this is when they talk about those edge of field buffers um that's actually what I did my senior research on in college um, is edge of field buffers, riparian buffers on streams and waterways. And those have a large impact on stream health. Um, if you remove the vegetation from the edges of streams, um, the water level or the water temperature typically gets hot because they're not getting shaded anymore um your banks erode and your streams basically become a lot wider and shallower which then even more increases the temperature of the water um and those plants along the edges of streams and waterways um do a lot to remove sediment prevent sediment from getting into the water and strip nutrients from the both the water itself and from per, they strip the nutrients from the water going to the stream and strip nutrients from the water in the stream so they do a lot for uh the stream's health and also riparian buffers you know those rows of trees along streams are really great wildlife habitat um Deer love to travel those between, you know, patches of woods. You know, it's kind of their highway system a lot of times. Yeah, because I was, that was one thing I was going to say is I, I'm excited to see the potential impact for our upland bird species, right? Because that, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's great habitat for those species. And, and they're really lacking in that habitat since, you know, historically here, in the, you know, we've gone to this edge-to-edge -edge farming, right? There's no, you know, you hear them talk about, like, there's none of the the messy fence rows and things. Like, all of that is clean farming, you know, because the, the farming technology has gotten so good that there's not a lot of spilt grain anymore, and the farm goes from the road to the hard timber and the fence line to the, you know, the barnyard or the drive, whatever, you know, and there's none of that, that 
ideal habitat for those upland bird species. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having these riparian buffers and wetlands, because a lot of these wetlands probably will only be season seasonally wet. They won't be probably what you think of a lot of times when you think of a wetland. You know, you think of like a basically just a big marshy area. Right. Um, a good portion of these wetlands will probably only be seasonally wet. And then that water will, you know, in the spring, basically, they will be wet, overflowing with water. In the fall, the water will recede and open up more edge habitat for upland birds and rabbits and even, you know, deer and all kinds of other uh, wildlife. And then obviously the wetlands will provide habitat for waterfowl and also fishing. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that I guess jumped out at me is just because they're kind of targeting their focus initially, at least in Northwest Ohio, um, which I've never been up there hunted up there but the impression i get is there's not a whole lot of deer because there's a lot of what would be considered kind of like barren wasteland when the crops come off but if they're going to start putting in some of this edge habitat you know that's like jeff said that's prime deer habitat i feel like you're going to hold more deer up there um and probably i mean honestly it's going to improve your deer hunting along with like you said your potentially get upland bird species to come back and flor- flourish and so and the other thing that they're talking about is that they mention and this is is phosphorus reduction best practices is cover crops which one thing I'll I'll if you're curious about or interested in in cover crops I would encourage you to check out the land and legacy podcast which is another podcast on the sportsman's nation they they tout cover crops from for farming but also you know like in in your food plot stuff right they they're very big on no-till applications farming food plots that kind of thing because you know there's there's a lot and i'm just sort of regurgitating what i've heard from them so listen to them for the actual information but you know that that um subsoil ecosystem every time you till that up you expose all of that, you know, that good nutrient-rich soil. A lot of that runs off. You, you know, there's all that um, the network of of roots in there that are are holding things together. There's, you know, the worms have been working down in there and making tunnels and allowing the soil to absorb water better. And there, I mean, there's tons and tons of of benefits that come with not tilling the soil, and they talk a lot about that. And so, you know, by having cover crops instead of, like Jake said, you know, driving around and seeing after the crops come off, you know, it's just acres and acres of desert, if you will. Right. Like I said, there's not a lot of spilled grain anymore these days. I mean, there is still some, but not not compared to in the past. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I I went to school out that way, undergrad and I mean, when those crops came off it, I mean, as far as you can see is nothing but bare dirt i mean some of those farms are just that big right 
They cut the crops. They, uh, and I, you know, I don't claim to know anything about farming, but you know, I, I see them cut the crops and then a lot of times they'll turn that soil over. I, I think maybe to, to allow those stalks and things to decompose into the soil and get it ready for spring. But that, that those fields lay bare all winter long. And yeah, it's just a, a wildlife desert at that point. Want to pause here for a brief moment to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So if feed or supplemental feed is something that you use as either a hunting tool or a way to get deer in front of your camera, or, you know, we're, we're going into the hard winter months where calories are hard to come by for deer. So if you, if you just like to supplement your deer to help get them through the winter, I would really encourage you to check out Monster Whitetail Grub. They sell a high-protein feed that's got mineral mixed in, so it's not just corn. It's got, it's, uh, how do I describe it? It's like a, a, a coarse feed. So it's, so it's got pelletized feed. It's got, it does have some corn mixed in, some flavoring. You can get different flavors like red oak acorn, persimmon, um, I think there's an apple, there's a handful of different flavors you can get, so it's a, a long-range attractant because the deer can smell that stuff from a long way away. And then the mineral works its way down into the soil, and the deer keep coming back even after the physical feed is gone. So we've had really good luck with it. It's a good product. It's a good company. So if that's something that you like, something that you want to use, I would encourage you to check out Monster Whitetail Grub. There'll be a link in the show notes on how to get in touch with them and how to order and try some of their stuff. And with that, let's get back to the episode. So what else about this? What else? Uh, I'm curious to, to, like I said, you know, see some of the other benefits that are going to come out of this, right? The, the main goal is clean water and healthier ecosystems. But I think there's going to be a lot of ancillary benefits, you know, things that, that uh, improve as a... Uh, as a piece of this, not as the direct, right? They didn't set out to improve um, upland bird habitat, but I think that's going to be a a side benefit of, of this program. So, do any of you have any? Go ahead. All I was going to say is that, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of far-reaching benefits that are going to go beyond just clean water. Um, That clean water is going to provide for a lot more recreational opportunities, um, whether it's just, you know, kayaking or swimming or boating or hunting or camping or fishing um you know i think it's going to provide for a lot more recreational opportunities because when the water's clean people want to spend time in it you know i know a lake by us had an algal bloom and even once it was safe again people still didn't want to swim there because they had heard that the water was toxic yep you know, or could be toxic. So it, it has a, an economic impact and, you know, 
basically people stay inside because they're afraid of nature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it definitely sounds like it's going to be a good thing. I mean, obviously we'll see how everything shakes out. I'm, you know, curious to see the adoption on, especially some of these farming best practices to, you know, to reduce the phosphorus runoff. And they, if, if you're looking for information, the place to go, it seems to be, is h2.ohio.gov. That's the website they've put up that has, you know, details on the plan, new, you know, current news on, on what's happening. Uh, one of the things they highlight right here on the homepage is, is Ohio has 60,000 existing miles of rivers and streams, 430,000 existing acres of wetland areas, and 125,000 existing lakes, reservoirs, and ponds. <clears throat> so, a lot of uh, water, <laughs> a lot of water habitat, and so I'm glad to see they're addressing some of these issues. The other thing I'll run through here real quick is, I've mentioned a couple times, the six priority projects. So they've got the Cullen Park flow-through wetland restoration. They've got, which is in Lucas County. These are all, like we said, the um, Maumee River watershed. Although I take that back. They're, they're sort of breaking these down. One of these is the Lake Erie watershed, and one is the Sandusky River watershed. I don't know if those are like subsets of the Maumee River watershed, but they've broken them out differently on this one-page summary of the wetland projects that I found. So, Cullen Park flow-through wetland restoration, Lucas County, Grassy Island flow-through wetland restoration, again, Lucas County, Maumee Bay State Park wetland restoration, Lucas County, Maumee Scenic River, Forder Bridge, that's Paulding County, the Oak Openings Preserve Metro Park Expansion, Lucas County, and the Sandusky Red Horse Bend Wetland Restoration. So those projects, uh, let me see here. They range in size from 37 acres, which is the Oak Openings Preserve Metro Park Expansion, 37 acres, proposed start 2020, all the way up to, let's see, what's the biggest one? 137 acres, which is the Maumee Bay State Park wetland restoration. That's So it says 137 acres, earliest start fall of 2019, comma spring of 2020. And there's a couple partners on that one, Ohio State Parks, the Nature Conservancy, Ohio EPA. So a lot of interesting things going to be happening here in the near future. All of these are showing, I'm assuming because these are the priority projects, they're they're showing earliest starts of fall of 2019 up to spring of 2020. So you should be seeing some of this stuff happen here soon. Yeah, yeah. And these projects are anticipated to just be the tip of the iceberg. You know, they're starting with the most critical needs and kind of flowing out from there. Sure. Uh, 
So this is this is most likely it's anticipated just to be the tip of the iceberg. So although you may not see something in, you know, if you don't live in that area of the state, you know, something in your area of the state this spring, um, you know, in the next handful of years, you you may see something in your area. The other thing I'm that I like about this is, you know, they they talk a lot through all of this about like science and research based management and monitoring. Right. So they're it's not just, oh, we think this will be good or, you know, it's there's science and data behind this and, and, you know, they're making decisions based on that data, which is always good to see. The other thing I'll I'll touch on here is is um, we mentioned at the beginning you know they talk about failing septic systems and lead contamination so I I don't have the facts on that but I know you know as as homes begin to age and and the septic systems if if they're not kept up to date or there's not inspection requirements in your county because I think those are managed. Well, I know they're managed or they're set on a county by county level, right? There, that's, you know, you get into some of that same waste nutrient type issues as you do with, you know, manure on crop fields and, and that kind of thing. So looks like they're going to be trying to uh, address some of that as well. Not sure how. But it's part of this H2 Ohio program. And then they said they talk about lead contaminations. So um, let's see. I don't want to just read this to you guys. But uh, most common sources of lead in drinking water are lead pipes, faucets, and fixtures. So it looks like they're going to be doing some things to mitigate exposure to especially children because they're, you know, uh, more susceptible to high, uh, not even, you know, they don't need as much lead in their system for it to cause issues, I guess. So anything else we want to touch on on this? I think just that this is, this is just the beginning of an, of an initiative, you know, to, to clean up water, um, in Ohio. So it's, it's just promising in, in that aspect that, yeah. It's showing that 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 the state finds value in making our waterways and our environment cleaner and safer for outdoor recreation. Yeah, and and I'll add that you know this this episode was by no means uh, meant to be an all inclusive, all knowing you know summary of the H two Ohio initiative. It was you know we just. It's important news for outdoorsmen in Ohio, and we wanted to mention it to you, make you aware of it, and let you know that there will be more content and more information around this, let you know how to get information about this. If you're interested in finding more info, like I said, go to h2.ohio.gov. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well so you guys can find this and some of these other uh, one-pager documents and things that... uh, I've been referencing throughout this. If you want information on some of these wetlands restoration projects and things like that, you know, if you, if you live in those areas and that's, that's 
particularly interesting to you. That was basically what, what, you know, we were going for with this. And, uh, hopefully it was somewhat helpful and informative. Anything else or leave it there? The only other thing I have is just kind of out of curiosity, I guess, if any listeners are farmers or involved in agriculture, um, when all this kind of rolls out in the spring, I'd like, I'd be curious to know kind of what, you know, they say that they're going to give incentives and that kind of stuff, but I'm just curious to see kind of what the state has in store for kind of how they're going to supplement the agricultural, you know, the farmers and stuff to make it, because obviously this stuff costs more money for them. Um, but there is obviously great benefit to it for the waters and wildlife and all that stuff. So I just, in the future, I guess I'd be curious to see kind of what, how they're helping the farmers or what they're doing exactly to help roll it out. Um, just out of curiosity, because that's going to be the first pushback is, you know, the farmers already aren't making enough, you know, they have whatever bad crop year and they're going bankrupt. And now you're expecting them to forfeit some of their crop land to install buffer zones and purchase this new equipment that does, you know, fertilizing precision nutrient application. Well, that takes a new piece of equipment and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. So the, uh, the, yeah. the one thing I'll read or that I read on that is initially it looks like they're going to offer those incentives to farmers in the Maumee river watershed. Um, and the other thing is there that I read is they are not mandating any of these best practices. Um, say we believe our strategy will lead to significant changes within our current laws so they're they're not mandating they are offering financial incentives and they say let's see so uh i think i did read somewhere that some of the big players up there though are on board and again not requiring but asking their suppliers to follow these practices like some of the big food companies that are up that way okay i think they're on board and supportive of it so that's good yeah and here's and I, a go ahead jeff i think a big part of this is is more of education um i think a lot of this is pretty actually could actually benefit the farmers financially they just need the education to know why they need to do these things and how it's going to benefit them in the long run. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say here. There's a quote from Governor DeWine says, by helping farmers implement these practices today, H2 Ohio will ultimately save them money, increase their profits, and reduce their phosphorus runoff in the future. Although a decrease in Lake Erie algal blooms will take time, we must invest now if we want if we want clean water for future generations. That's the end quote. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of this is just a a lack of good information to to farmers as to how to do these things. And, you know, because not putting, not having to put extra, you know, excess fertilizers on your field, that's going to save you money. You know, you're, you're paying for that fertilizer. So if you if you can get your field to a state where you only need to put a little bit of fertilizer on it every year 
or to the point where you're not having the fertilize, that's a huge cost savings. And yeah. s- some of these plans can can definitely work farmers in that direction. Well, and those um, Dr. Grant Woods, who runs GrowingDeer.tv, he does no-till for all of his food plots. And, you know, he's he's always researching, you know, he calls his property the proving grounds, right? And he's always testing different ways of, of doing this. And, and he I've heard him talk about, you know, he plants soybeans in the same fields year after year with no... Um, no, you know, he's got fields that he, he hasn't fertilized in, you know, five years or something. Don't, don't quote me on that. But but some number of years planting soybeans in the same field year after year because, you know, once the beans come off, he's putting a cover crop on there. He's never tilling the soil. That cover crop then gets terminated with, um, you know, he's he's been working with this Goliath crimper or spraying um you know some kind of glyphosate to to terminate that and then planting next year's soybeans and because of that the nutrients from the cover crop are then going back into the soil and acting as your slow release fertilizer he's not having to add any additional supplements to his soil and you know can plant the same crop year after year and so he's you know again that's another resource it's it's more deer focused, but those practices could be implemented just the same in agriculture. So if nothing else, I think we'll, we'll shut it off. And, uh, like I said, hopefully this was helpful in some fashion, informative in some fashion, and there will be more to come on this. And with that, thanks for listening. Okay. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Like I said at the beginning, hopefully you found that helpful. Hopefully there was something interesting in there. And stay tuned for part two, where we're going to have somebody from the ODNR come on and give us some more facts, I guess, if you will. Some Maybe give us some insight on things that, that maybe aren't clear through the website or any of the publications that are out there. Answer any questions that we have. So if you guys have questions you want us to ask them, send us a message. We'll ask when we do when we record that episode. And with that, I've kept you guys long enough. Thanks for listening. <laughs>